It's the yud hey and the vuv and the hey. It's the God I am who I am, the tetragrammaton, the personal covenant-keeping name of God. Notice, it's the Lord our God. Notice that word, our. We live in a culture that is so highly individualistic, we have a tendency to say, the Lord my God. But it's always community-centric in the Bible. Just like the prayer, our Father. It doesn't say my Father, it says our, because A believer is meant to be in community. We were not designed by God to be hermits, though some people prefer to be isolated and avoid as much interaction as possible. That's not how we're meant to live, especially as Christians. We need each other to grow in our faith. In today's message, Pastor Daniel tells us how important it is to spend time in fellowship with other Christ followers, learning together, worshiping together and supporting each other through every event. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, The Greatest Commandment. The other side, I always say, that in any loving relationship, we should fear breaking a loved one's heart. Right? Like, you husbands, you should fear breaking your wife's heart. You wives, you should fear breaking your husband's heart. I always tell my kids, don't ever make your mama cry. Don't ever make your mama cry because I want my kids to fear breaking their mom's heart. Why? Because in a loving relationship, we should care enough to fear breaking someone's heart. And the other side of fearing God, not just his position, but because of the relationship that we have with God, we should say, God, I fear breaking your heart. But I think what happens is, for many of us, we really don't fear God. We haven't thought through both his authority and the loving relationship that he bought for us in Jesus. And when that happens, we have a tendency to allow ourselves to do things that break his heart and pretend like it doesn't. And that, my friends, I think is a major call for us as the children of God to say, Lord, as we sang, break my heart for what breaks yours. Didn't we sing it before? It's a powerful line. Lord, when something breaks your heart, I want it to break my heart so that I'm not, I don't involve myself in it. And I think that loving relationship married to the reality of God's authority, that's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because true wisdom isn't just having a lot of information. As we always say here, wisdom is the right application of the right information. That's a life of wisdom. And for too many of us, we either have the right information and we don't apply it, which isn't wisdom, Or we have the wrong information and we're applying that. But when we fear God, now we have the opportunity to receive the right information and to apply it in the proper ways. So he says here that part of God's blessing on his people is that we would fear him, and in the middle of verse 2, to keep his statutes and his commands, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. So he's saying, not only for you, but I want you to pass this down to your offspring and to your grandkids. 
And we do this so that your days may be prolonged. This is that idea of there's a blessing that comes with honoring the commandments of the Lord. The Apostle John says his commandments are not burdensome. See, the blessing of following the things that Jesus teaches us is we're following the things that Jesus teaches us. So when Jesus says, don't do these things and we don't do these things, we don't end up with the syntax, S-I-N tax, of all the rebellion against God. So like I used to tell people, I've taught, I have a heavy partying background. And so if I ended up with lung cancer, I can't blame God for that because I kind of trashed my lungs for about 10 years of my life, right? And that is the syntax of living in rebellion against God. I pray God for healing and all this stuff, and, and I pray that he has. But in every area of your life, when we live in rebellion, there is a tax that comes along with it. And so the key for us is that we have to realize that God's purposes and plans are there to bring blessing to our lives. And if we all look at our lives, you might see areas, oh yeah, there's, I'm experiencing the sin tax there because it's the natural outgrowth of me living in a way that God doesn't say and that has ramifications. Sometimes it's the way we deal with our finances, the way we deal with the temple of God, our own bodies, the things that we involve ourselves in, decisions that we make. And so it's about God wanting to prolong our lives, to bless our lives, for our lives to be the place, the repository, so to speak, of all that God wants to do. Now, from there, we see in verse 3, therefore, now, the word therefore, what do you always see when you see the word therefore? What's it there for? That's right. It's a concluding word. Therefore, you always ask, what's it there for? It's a concluding word. So because of that, it says, therefore, Hear, O Israel. Now, go down to verse 4. Hear, O Israel. Now, one of the things I love about being a student of the Bible, one of the things I love about getting to teach the Bible, is that every time you read the Bible, no matter how many times you've read it, at different points in your life, certain things pop out at you. Right? Now, I've taught the greatest commandment literally as a pastor hundreds of times. Maybe thousands of times. It's come up in a sermon. Right? But this week as I was studying God took the word here and he brought it out and he just shined lights on it. That Jesus said, if you have ears, then you should hear. Let he who has ears to hear. And what that means is that sometimes we hear, but we don't actually hear. Right? It's like the words go in, but in some way it doesn't connect Hearing is such an important part of the Christian life. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. You guys know I'm a talker. (laughs) No heckling the pastor, okay? (laughs) Could have fooled me, right? But for those of us who are talkers, right, oftentimes we're good talkers and we're not good listeners, And oftentimes, even if you're not a talker, we're so preoccupied with life and busyness that we don't hear anything. We go through our days, we haven't heard anything. Sure, we've had all sorts of conversations, but our hearts aren't tuned in. And so this word here, it's the Hebrew word Shema, right? The greatest commandment is known as the great Shema because it begins with the word hear, right? Are you hearing Have you said, Lord, will you, by the power of your spirit, 
take a Q-tip to my soul to clear out all the things, all the noise, all the things that are, I have ears, but I'm not hearing. I want to encourage you, for some of you, the people closest to you have been talking to you about the same thing for a long time, and you're not hearing them. Hear. See, hearing, I read, is spiritual hospitality. It's a powerful reality that hearing is an act of spiritual hospitality when you allow yourself to hear somebody else. Not only another person, but the Lord as well. I found myself this week as I've been preparing this message just saying, Lord, I want to hear. I want to hear not only you, I want to hear my bride. I want to hear my kids. I want to hear the Crossroads family. I want to hear the people that I meet. I want to have ears to hear that I might be moved with compassion, that I might hear God's prompts in the midst of somebody's issues and be able to to minister. God wants to give us ears that truly hear. Therefore, hear, O Israel. And it's repeated. And I love that. I always say the redundancies in the Bible, when you have it in verse 3 and verse 4, it's because the Holy Spirit knows we're a little thick-headed sometimes. Well, we got some blockage sometimes. So he gives it to us again so that we hear it. And I just got the sense the Lord said, Daniel, I want to speak to my kids. I want them to hear me. And then I felt the Lord said, Daniel, and I want you to hear me too. And sometimes as a pastor, I can be so busy doing the work of ministry and leading a charge up the mountain or something that I'm not hearing either. So I found myself this week just saying, Lord, speak for your servant is listening. Which is the counsel that Eli gave to a young Samuel when Samuel was hearing God's voice. He thought it was Eli. He says, and finally Eli realized, he's like, no, no, just say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And would to God that that would be our heart's cry. Speak. Lord, your servant is listening. And if you're like me this week where you're like, man, um, I need a good spiritual enema in my ears, so to speak. Because <laughs> straight up, I'm like, Lord, I need like a, a hearing enema right now. I got like, it's a very vivid graphic picture. But listen, any of you who have raised boys, you know what it's like when you realize you haven't cleaned your boy's ear out in a while? And you go on in there and it's like literally you need like a whole tool belt of stuff to get what's in there because he's a boy. I think some of us are like that spiritually. I know that I can be like that spiritually. Where there's so many things that are just jammed in there I can't hear. So many things vying for jockeying for position in my heart. and So much noise and my own internal dialogue and arguments that go on and all this stuff and technology and all this stuff. That it's like, no, no, Lord, I want to be hearing. And we talk here across about simply responding to Jesus. We need to hear. We need to hear the promptings of the Spirit. And I believe that for each one of us, every single moment of your life, God is inviting you into this journey, this thing called the kingdom of God. And God is asking us to live into that and, and lean into that and take steps of faith into that. But I think for a lot of us, We don't even hear the prompts because life is noisy. 
So it's amazing. It grabbed me here. In the quietness of your own heart, even in your journal, just write down, Lord, give me a hearing ear. Lord, make me somebody who hears you. Because he says all this, he says, therefore, verse 3, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. It's almost like the Lord is pleading with the people through Moses. Therefore, hear and be careful to observe all these things. That your life may be blessed, that you may go into this land flowing with milk and honey. Now again, the land flowing with milk and honey, that is old school biblical way of saying it's a good spot, right? It doesn't mean that there's like, you know, how many of you remember the chocolate milk commercials where there's the chocolate cows with the rivers of chocolate milk? The idea, got milk, amen. The idea is, the idea is, is that there's enough grazing land that all of the cattle has enough nourishment that they're always able to produce milk. Honey, that was, this was long before high fructose corn syrup and all this stuff. It was the only sweetener. So the idea is a great place for grazing. Everything is blessed and there's a touch of sweetness there. And that's what God wants for his people. Not that life is always going to be easy, but we realize that he makes us lie down in green pastures and he leads us beside still waters. All those beautiful promises of God being our shepherd that we read in Psalm 23. He's saying, look, I want you to experience that. But here, be careful to observe it. And then in verse for you walk into this greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, this prayer has been recited by Jewish people every single day as part of their daily prayers. This is one of the most powerful and beloved prayers in all the Bible. Along the other prayers that they pray daily, is Deuteronomy 11, 13 to 21, and Numbers 15, 37 to 41. Every single day, it's part of their prayer book, so to speak. And it is that for a reason. It begins with, hear, O Israel. It's a constant reminder for the children of Israel to be listening. And if you know your Bible at all, you realize that the children of Israel didn't always do a good job of that. That the walk with the Lord is a daily walk. And every single day, you hearing yesterday will not keep you hearing today. And so each one of us needs to hear afresh. Hear, O Israel. And it begins that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, there's so much here. Notice this. The Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is God's personal name. It's the yud Hey and the Vuv and the Hey. It's the God I am who I am, the Tetragrammaton, the personal covenant-keeping name of God. Notice, it's the Lord, our God. Notice that word, our. We live in a culture that is so highly individualistic, we have a tendency to say, the Lord, my God. But it's always community-centric in the Bible. Just like the prayer our Father. It doesn't say my Father. It says our because a believer is meant to be in community. You are designed to be in the community of people. Why? Because iron sharpens iron. 
And the problem in our generation is that we're all so individualistic and every time someone gets mad, they say, I'm going to take my marbles and go play by myself (laughs) because they're my marbles and nobody grows. We always have a tendency to run from community because we don't like having to grow. And when we decide in our marriages and in our churches and in our relationships that high up or low down, I'm going to see this thing through to the end, something beautiful happens because we realize that it's in the midst of the conflicts that God does the most things. Nobody grows the most on the sunny days. We just enjoy the sun. We get our vitamin D and we go, we're good to go. But it's on the challenging situations where God says things like, you need to take up your cross. You need to forgive. You're a sinner too. We'll make it through this. You just got to hold on. Bite your tongue. Those are great lessons. But for most of us, we eject from those. And in some ways, the beauty of the covenant community of the nation of Israel, unlike the way things work in 21st century America, is that every time we get mad, we just go find a new group to play with until they make us mad. Then we go to the next one. And it's a disposable culture, which is completely antithetical to the word of God. It's antithetical to it. And so it's the Lord, our God. We need to fight a current of individualism in our culture. See, I want to actually exhort you to exert your individualism to choose community all the time. God doesn't say you're not your own and you don't have your own life. He's saying, well, you were bought at a price in your mind, but he wants us with our individual choices to choose one another and to see ourselves in community. It's the Lord, our God. Jesus said, our God, our father who art in heaven, all through the Bible, it's community centric. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Now, it is interesting for those of you who like words, Lord is Yahweh, our God is Elohim. And so if you have studied along with us, I keep kind of bringing out the interplay between the name Elohim, which is translated God, and then the name Yahweh, which is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And in the creation account, we get a lot of God language. Then by the time you move to Genesis 2, you get a lot of Yahweh language. And rabbis will tell you that Elohim, it's also translated for human judges. So it speaks about God and his justice and Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That actually is God in his covenantal mercy. And so rabbis make, I don't want to overstate it, but it's, it's very, some beautiful stuff here. Now you have them together. The God of covenantal mercy and justice. See, this is the perfect paradox of God. That God can be absolutely majestic and still be born as a baby, humble in a manger. That God could be absolutely just and completely merciful. We see these things on polar ends of the spectrum, and so they seem, except in God, there's the oneness. Now, God is both male and female, even though our language is masculine. Because in the culture that it was in, the masculine language of God is essential for the picture of the patriarch who has control over his family and home. But God created them what? Male and what? Female. What's the next line to that? In his image, he created them. You say, how's it possible? Well, in God, all things are possible. So we have a tendency not to realize that within the nature of God, there is seeming paradox. Now, I realize 
my sermon time is almost over and I just opened up a huge can of worms. <laughs> and that's the blessing that I get to do as a teacher because it's, I realize like, that's like, there's so many implications for how does this all work. And I want you to take that into your prayer time. Because have, we have a tendency to want to, I, I believe in the God of love. I believe in the God of judgment. So there's the people who are angry at everyone. God's going to judge you and he's going to hate you. And there's the people like, no, God just loves everybody. And you know what's funny? They're both kind of right. God is a God of judgment. God is a God of wrath. In God's righteousness, he is wrathful, but at the same time, he's a God of perfect love and without sin. We have a tendency to want to choose a side when actually God wants us to keep the tension right in the middle. But it's like when people talk about Jesus, Jesus is fully God, fully man. But you go to some churches and Jesus is God. So we'll never be anything like Jesus. Or you go to other churches, Jesus is human, just like us. And we have a tendency to want to resolve the tension by picking a side. And if we're truly biblical people, we're going to say, I can't choose a side because he's fully God and fully man. So I have to figure out how do I integrate these two seemingly opposite ideas because Jesus is fully God and he's fully man, right? God is a God of wrath. And if you don't believe it, just look at the cross when God poured out his wrath on his own son in our place. But he's also a God of perfect love. So these seeming paradoxical ideas, they all come together in the person of God. And so this idea of Yahweh Elohim, the covenant merciful God and the God of justice. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now this word one, it's pretty amazing because the word one here in the Hebrew is the word echad. And you like the in there? I worked on that for you guys. This would be legitimate Hebrew. Echad, right? This literally speaks of the idea of a compound unity, which it's actually beautiful because it means that it's, there's one, but it's a, it's a bringing together of one, as opposed if it would have been the word yahid, which Hebrew scholars would tell you, it's an absolute unity. And so the idea, according to rabbis, is that he is one and that God is absolutely unique. There's only one God. God is absolutely and completely unique. That's where the word holy, it means other. God is completely distinct, right? And that is what one means. But it also, it speaks to us of the plurality of persons in the Godhead. The fact that God eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Hebrew absolutely lends itself to this. So the idea of God being one absolutely unique, but also being a compound unity. And it's funny, I was talking to some friends of mine who are rabbis, and we were talking about this, and I said, hey, so, you know, like, so what's up with the Lord God, the Lord is one? Talk to me about Echad, and he's like, oh, he kind of rolled his eyes, he's like, you Christians, you got us pegged on that one, you know? Because it was, it was really like, I have some great friends, and they're brilliant, you know? He's like, yeah, he's like, it's a compound unity. If it would have been the word Yahid, then we have a proof text to say it's wrong. But then he, and he's like, and I know you're going to link it up with Genesis 1:27. Let us make man in our image. He's like, yeah, it fits. He's like, even though I'm not allowed to say it publicly, there's something there. There's something there. Jesus is real. The Bible is full of mysteries that we may not fully understand until we reach heaven. 
Pastor Daniel today encouraged us, however, to not shy away from the difficult passages, but to ask God to speak to us and reveal His truth. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here. I'm the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church. I love that God invites all of us to be a part of His family, and I wanted to invite you to be a part of my family of faith in Vancouver, services on Sundays at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m., or in Southwest Portland, our service on Sundays at 10 a.m., as well as midweek services Wednesday at 7 p.m. at both campuses. We would love to have you join us, and if you're at a distance, check us out on our internet campus, crossroadslive.tv. I look forward to seeing you soon. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel shares more on the greatest commandment. He also encourages us to take what we hear and test it against the truth we find in the Bible. We need to know what God's Word says for ourselves. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.